1 Kings 19, 1-18. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah, saying, So may the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Then he was afraid, and he arose and ran for his life, and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. And he lay down and slept under a broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food, 40 days and 40 nights, to Horeb, the mount of God. There he came to a cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And he said, go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind, and after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake, and after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire, and after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said. I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword, and I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said to him, Go return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazael to be king over Syria, and Jehu the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel-Meholah, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. And the one who escapes from the sword of Hazael shall Jehu put to death. And the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to bow, and every mouth that has not kissed him. This is the word of the Lord. Well, bless you guys. It's lovely to be back. What a privilege it is to be here and to share with you on this New Year's Day. What an amazing day to share the word of God. And it's exciting to see you all. So, uh, 
I may not be able to get around everyone, but it's exciting to see you all. Brilliant. And, you know, in the 1700s, there was a lot of sheep. We got a sheep? In the 1700s, there was a lot of ships <laughs> passing between Europe and the Americas and also the other side as well on the Pacific. And those ships used to run on what was called the trade winds. And if they had a full sail, they would whip across. But then if they went too far south towards the equator, sort of five degrees above the equator and five degrees below the equator, what they found was they were in a section of the world that the winds would cease. And it was called the doldrums. And we actually use that expression today to talk about someone that's, you know, down in the dumps a bit. And that's how Elijah ended up. You see, Elijah started at the beginning of chapter 19. He started on a high. He was on the trade winds. His ship was in full sail. He had just come up against the prophets of Baal. And God had worked in an amazing way. And you know what it's like. You, you come to a fellowship like this, and, and you're singing, and you're praising God, and you're just excited. And, and you know, there's these mountaintop experiences in the ministry of the word, and mountaintop experiences in our Christian walk. And that's what it was like for Elijah. He was sailing on a full wind. And then Ahab did something. He went and told Jezebel what Elijah had done. And it's interesting that Ahab didn't say the God of Israel had done it. He said Elijah had done it. And there's an indication as to where we're going with this passage in 1 Kings 19. And so Jezebel now says, right, if the gods would do the same thing to me, if by today Elijah is not dead. She was going after him. And so Elijah, of course, stands up and says, my God is a great God. My God is a mighty God. And I can stand against anything because I stand in his strength. And he will send fire on Jezebel just as he did on those sacrifices on the mountain. No. That's not what happened, is it? As we read on, it says in verse 3, Then he was afraid. He had just stood up against actually 850 prophets, 450 of Baal and 400 of Asherah. He had stood against them and he had called on the God who answers by fire. And guess what? God answered by fire and he was on cloud nine. His sails were full. And one lady says, I'm going to get you, Elijah. And now he is fearful. Now he is thinking, 
my life is at risk. You see, friend, I want to put before you today that perhaps after those times where we are praising God, that we then begin to take our eyes off the God we praise and we begin to say, oh, that was a great service. I played well today or I sang well today or wasn't it great just to see God's people come together and sing in that way, you know? And we take our focus off the God who is there and we place our focus on what's going on when God is present. And so Elijah, it says, then he arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah. You know, truly Jezebel had knocked the wind out of Elijah's sails. He was now in the doldrums. You know, when the sailors reached that pit area around the equator, sometimes their ship would not move for days, for weeks, and sometimes even for months. And they would begin to fear for their life because their reserves in the ship were running out. And with Elijah, we see now that the wind has been taken out of his sails and he's beginning to fear because he has not got the resources in himself to sustain himself and to keep himself safe. How often do we have that, guys? You know, we go through a prayer meeting, it's on fire and we're saying hallelujah, and then the next day, someone says something at work and we're running a mile. One day, we, we can jump over a wall and we can go against the troop. The next day, if, if, if a mouse came into our lounge, we would run. I know about that. We used to have five a day over, over the cottage. You know? yeah, we were, so often, we rely upon the events around us rather than the one who is at the center of us. Fear is debilitating. Fear takes away that strength that we would have, that, oh, that um, desire to honor God, that desire to rest on him. And that's exactly what happened to Elijah. But also I want you to notice something in verse 3 at the end there. That when we're in the doldrums, when we allow fear to overtake what God is doing in us, we tend to have the fact that fellowship becomes hard work. Now, I'm not going to say, does anyone here know it when fellowship becomes hard work? Because you're probably too shy about the person sitting next to you, perhaps. But, you know, I find that. Don't you, when you're in the dumps, when you're thinking, oh, you know, oh, we had a great meeting and stuff, and you're down the next day, and then you actually find it hard because you know where your heart is. It's, it's not where it was the day before. And that's what's happening with Elijah. So notice at the end of verse 3, he left his servant there in Beersheba. He wanted to be on his own. There used to be a book, uh, and it was about angling. And there was a little story, a poem, 
in this book. And some of you that know me know I've said this before. And it's a poem that says, nobody loves me. Everybody hates me. I think I'll go down the garden and eat worms. And that's where Elijah was. And so off he goes. And he, he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die. So this is serious mental health issues. Elijah now, instead of being on cloud nine, it, what is it? Cloud minus nine? I don't know. How would you say that? He's right down there, isn't he? And he's wishing that God would take his life. I don't know if perhaps you've been in that place. But if you have, you'll know that there doesn't seem to be any way out of your situation. Sadly, this year, I was called to, to do a funeral when someone had taken that step. If only, you could say, if only. Do you know, it's the only step you can take that's irreversible. Guys, there's hope. If you're at that point today, I just want to tell you there's hope. And we're going to look at what that hope is in a moment. But don't, don't ever allow yourself to get to that point and think there is no other way out. Whatever you've done, whatever your emotions are, whatever feelings you're going through, whatever situation you find yourself in, you cry out to God in that time. You cry out to him. And he will bring someone alongside you. He will bring forgiveness if that is necessary. He will bring joy in your sorrow. Promise someone today, if you're feeling like that, that you won't do anything until you've spoken to them. Have faith that God can carry you through the deepest, darkest time. Elijah, he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough now, O Lord. Take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. You see, he'd seen now that he had run from Jezebel. He hadn't trusted God to contain him, to hold him. And he, he was saying, I'm no better than those that were offering sacrifices to Baal. I'm no better than them. He had nothing in himself to offer. Guys, I've come to that point so many times where I've run out of juice. And there's nothing left. And you know the scripture that comes to mind then? It is a precious scripture, friend. And if you're out of juice today, you know, know that when we are weak, that is when he is strong in us. That is when we know his hand upon our lives. Why? Because we've been trying to be strong. But when God is strong in us and we come to the end of our tether, we know it's him. He turns up at the right time. Friend, if you're out of juice and you're like Elijah, you've got nothing left 
to offer. You see, Elijah's problem at this point was he had kept his eyes not on the Lord, but on himself. And he says, I'm empty. I've got nothing left. I'm not worthy of anything. I'm no greater than my father's were. Friend, that is when we need to trust and rely solely, like that old hymn says, leaning on the everlasting arms, that God is our strength. I can't do anything about it used to be an AA advert that says, but I know a man who can. You know? I know someone that can. And he lay down and he slept, verse 5, under a broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, arise and eat. You see, he cried out in his anguish. And what did God do? He sent an angel to come alongside him to tell him off. To judge him, to jump on his head and say, you should know better than that, you idiot. None of that. He sent an angel alongside him and the angel touched him. You know, if that was me, I probably would have gone, wake up, Elijah. You know, get on with it. But the angel touched him and said to him, arise and eat. You see... God met Elijah where he was. God does not expect any more of you than to respond to his voice. He doesn't expect you after a great mission, you know, to sustain that great mission. He doesn't expect you to match up to what the congregation is expecting the next week that he did the week before. God expects you just to respond to him and to feed from him. And he looked and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. What did Elijah need at that time? A hot cake and a glass of water. You know? God provides exactly what we need at the exact time time that we need it and he ate and drank and lay down again guys i want you to notice there was no instant revival there was no instant revival god just took him through the stage he was at at that time and sometimes friend that is all that we need we need god just to come alongside and hang on to us, you know? There's that old poem you see on posters and stuff about the footprints, you know, all that in the sand. You know, that's a big one down in Pendine because that's all we got is sand down there, you know? And it's true, isn't it, that he just carries us through when we need that. And so there is hope even at cloud minus nine when the wind is completely out of our sails. It is the day of small things. The scripture tells us not to despise the day of small things. Don't look for the great thing. Look for the little thing that's going to sustain you through the next day, through the next time. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time 
and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. You see, God knows our next day. God knows our next week. God knows what you're going to face when you go back to work on Wednesday, is it? Tuesday. God knows. And so he's going to provide what you need because the journey is too great for us. He will provide. He is a gentle God. He knows what we need. And so Elijah arose and ate. And I love this bit because the first time it was just to get him through where he was. The next time it was to sustain him for the next 40 days and 40 nights. I love that. And it says this, and went in the strength of that food, 40 days and 40 nights, to Horeb, the mount of God. Friend, I want to say that when you're in that place, in the doldrums, there's no wind in your sails. Where are you to go? Where did Elijah go? He went to Horeb, the mountain of God. What happened at Horeb? Horeb was where Moses saw the burning bush. Moses went into Egypt. He was commissioned and he came out. And where did he bring the people? He brought them back to Horeb. And at Horeb, God made a covenant with Israel. What did Elijah do? He was looking in the right place. Where did he go? He went back to the covenant that God had made with his people. And friend, if you're struggling in your Christian walk, do what we're going to do later on in this service. Come back to the very covenant that God has made with you. Jesus broke bread and he said, this is the blood of the new covenant in, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Friend, go back to the cross. Go back to the beginning and say, Lord, I just want to start again with you. I want to start afresh with you. I want to make sure that I remember that covenant. What did he say? Do this in remembrance of me. Where did Elijah go? He went back to where God made a covenant with his people. And friend, when we are going through those tough times... And we look at all these things around us that are causing us to struggle and battle and everything else. Go back to the covenant and know that Jesus said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I'm going to sustain you. If you walk in me, you shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. You feed on me, you shall never hunger again. You drink of the living water that I give you, you shall never thirst again go back to that covenant come back to Christ and start again there I'm not saying be born again again and again I'm saying just remember the covenant he has with you now because it is yours from the moment you gave your life to Christ and he sent his Holy Spirit and he filled your heart with his power and made you a new creation from that moment on, his covenant with you holds. So are you struggling? 
you're battling, you've got these seasons in your ministry, up and down like a roller coaster at Thorpe Park. Go back to the covenant. Remind yourself what Christ has done for you. And so Elijah went back to the place of the covenant. And then he came to a cave and he lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And he said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Now, I said that a bit harsh, didn't I? I think probably the Lord said it a bit gentler with him. What are you doing here, Elijah? That's a bit better, isn't it? You know, the Lord's saying, why have you come here? Why have you come? What is the reason? And you can even ask yourself that this morning in church. You know, you can say, why have I come? Why have I come? And Elijah, I believe, had come to get back to that covenant and remind himself of that covenant. Why have you come? And then Elijah... In his mind, he's still going through all this stuff. And he says, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the Lord God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant. You see, he'd gone back there to remind himself of that covenant. Thrown down your altars and killed your prophets with a sword. And I, even I, only am left. And they seek my life to take it away. Who is the center of Elijah's complaint? It's Elijah. It's me. I'm the only one left. You know, God, you can't do anything without me. And now they're not going to let me do it. And I, I just can't do it. You know, I've done my best. But your people, you know, he says, you know, your people, the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant. They, they've torn down your altars, all that sort of stuff. He says, I'm the only one. I'm the only one that's serving God. But even that, in that, he wasn't. But your people. Pastors have a bit of a problem sometimes. Oh, I'd better be a bit careful here, don't I? Yeah? When we get in the doldrums, it's not us we look at. It's the congregation. And we blame the people. If only they'd have done this. If only they turned up for this meeting. If only, you know. And Elijah's the same. And he's saying, I can't do anything. Because they're not involved. Friend. He'd given his best. That's what he said. But the people were a problem to him. And the Lord spoke to him. And he said to him. Go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. So you go on out there and you stand. And it says this, Behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. And after the wind, an earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. What do you notice about that? Every one of them is a manifestation of God's presence. Every one of them. And this is like, you know those nights where you are worshipping with all God's people and you're just excited probably last night. Sorry, I fell asleep. I was on my way. You know? You were so excited with that. 
all that. But was it the songs that caused that joy? You see, all these things are manifestations of God's presence. But I want you to notice that it says, and God, the Lord, was not in the wind. And the Lord was not in the earthquake. And the Lord was not in the fire. You see, the fire that fell on Carmel, the Lord wasn't in the fire. The fire came from the Lord. And so often we get attracted to the singing, to the, to the fellowship, to all those things. But we miss out on the key feature. The Lord himself. So often we want the fire. We sing, don't we? Lord, send the fire. You know? Send the fire. Yes. Lord, send the fire. But we want to know the Lord that sends the fire. Because if all we're relying upon is the events around us, the Mount Carmel's in our lives, then we are not lost, but we're so depressed later because we're not glorying in the person of Christ. We're glorying in the things, the manifestations of his presence, but not in him alone. You see, when Moses reached that burning bush at Horeb, when he went in, he said, what is your name? Who am I to say you are, Lord? And he said, I am that I am. And friend, when the wind's taken out of our sails, we need to say, Lord, I don't need the events. I don't need all those things to prove to me who you are. I need you. I need you. And look at what happens. And when Elijah heard it, that still small voice, that as it says in the ESV here, the sound of a low whisper. You see, still a gentle God, still looking to restore Elijah to the place where he trusts him again for his life. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? Now let me just tell you something about the Lord. If he has to ask you twice, he's serious about it. You see, this is a Peter moment. This is a Peter moment when Peter had denied the Lord. And the Lord on that breakfast morning by the Sea of Galilee, said to Peter, Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? And friend, that's what God's saying to Elijah here. You know? What are you doing here, Elijah? What is it you're looking for? Is it the big event or is it me? Is it doing something mighty for God or is it the God that you're doing something mighty for? 
He said, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, killed your prophets with a sword, and I, even I, only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. Elijah still has not grasped what's going on. But the Lord in his mercy restores Elijah to ministry. I actually called this sermon at the beginning. I didn't tell you. It's not over until it's over. Friend, don't think that just because perhaps you failed in one thing, that your Christian walk is over. Don't think that just because you're not the, the, the big, high, mighty one, as it were, that you've got nothing at the table with God. You see, God has a work for each one of you to do. And everything that happened in your life before was to bring you to Jesus. And everything that Jesus does in you now is to lead you on in the work and the mission that he has for you. Friend. If you're not sure of where that mission is, if you're not sure of what your heart needs to be doing with God, go back to the place of the covenant. Start afresh there. Renew your heart with Christ and know his filling for the days ahead. And so the Lord says to Elijah, go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazael the king over Syria. You've got a work to do, Elijah. You ain't finished yet. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint as king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel-Mehalah, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. Friend, if there's nothing else God has for you to do, if there is nothing else for you to do that God has for you, then there is one thing God has for you to do, to train up the next generation, to train up, come alongside someone else, encourage them in prayer, encourage them in the word, raise up their heart to look to Jesus in all things. And God says to Elijah, and the one who escapes the sword of Hazel, Jehu shall put to death, and the one that escapes Jehu, Elisha shall put to death. You know, these were going to continue what you started. Oh, and you know, I can say this on a personal level, just looking out here this morning, praise God. God raised that people to continue what was started, you know. I thought I'd made a big mistake by leaving Stockwell. It was the best thing I ever could do. Not because we didn't love Stockwell, but because God had the next step that I was standing in the way of. And so Elijah didn't go back to Mount Carmel. Elijah went and set up the next generation and my prayer is that you would know your sails full 
of the wind of the Holy Spirit for those journeys. And you know, when the doldrums come, you go back to the covenant, remind yourself of what Christ has done for you and get to know him more day by day. Finally, and you're all thinking, hang on a minute. Finally, verse 18. Elijah's complaint at every point was, I alone am left. I am on my own. There's nobody with me. God says to Elijah, yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. Friend, you are not alone in the calling God has given you. You are living stones being built together into a holy temple to the praise of our living God. Just have a quick look around you. Go on, just a quick skim. All those people, you are not alone in the kingdom. Let's pray. Oh, Lord Jesus, we come before you this morning. And each one of perhaps in our own way, in that place of Elijah. Lord, we, we want to do great things for you. But Lord, sometimes we leave you out of those great things. And we ask you, Lord, that we would come back to this place of covenant, what we're going to share now around your table that you gave your life for us, you shed your blood for the remission of sins, that we have been made a new creation by your Holy Spirit. And we have the opportunity to boldly enter that throne of grace where we were never able to go before. Lord, help us today. Help us today to know that you still have something for us while we still have breath in our body. And Lord, that you are calling us to be part of a body that we might know that we are not alone in your service. We bless you for these things. And friend, if you're at that point this morning, cry out to God. Call upon his name, even as we break bread together. Thank him for what he's done and his covenant with you. The Lord bless you.